Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Dave Smith is a native New Yorker and key member of the emerging new platform, the Gas Digital Network. You likely heard Dave as one-third of the Legion of Skanks, alongside Big J. Okerson and Louis J. Gomez, or as host of the podcast Part of the Problem. Combined, they've received hundreds of thousands of downloads each week. You also can see Dave Smith featured regularly as a comedic political analyst on Fox News. He was a new face at Montreal's Just for Last Festival in 2013, and in September 2017, he's released his first stand-up comedy special, Libertas, the first such special for Gas Digital. So let's get to it! All right. So, Dave Smith, thank you for joining me in a uh, little neighborhood podcast. That's right. Uh, you are a native New Yorker. Yes, sir. So, let me start with this. Have you ever lived anywhere else? Um, I've never lived outside of New York. I did. I went to, to Hartwick College okay. for a year and a half. I lived in Oneonta, New York, which is like another fucking country. <laughs> like, even though right, it's compared here, to the it, city, it is another. I remember there was this dude uh, who had a pickup truck with a Confederate flag on the back of it. He would drive around all the time. Just in, the, in upstate New York. Like, where are you seceding from? Did, right. like, let's say the South won that war. What was your escape plan from Oneonta? But it's it, a, it is like a different world. So that was my only experience. Mm-hmm. And it was like small town, snow, like three feet of snow on the ground all winter. And I hated it. Hated it. Had to get back to the city. Have you ever thought about moving to L.A. or yeah, somewhere else? I've thought about L.A. because, you know, when you're like, once you get a little bit going for yourself in comedy, if you go out to LA and just visit, it'll make you want to move there. Because right. like, it's just like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> this is fun now that you're like in. Uh, so I could see, I, you know, I could see that. The only thing, I could see, I think the city wears on you, like the older you get. Right. Like morally. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it hurts your soul. I can identify with that. Like you can only. It's I've like, only been here many, 10 years and I can identify yeah. with that. Yeah. Oh, 10 years is way past the point of, of being a New Yorker. New Yorker is like a year and a half. I think oh. you're ruined for anywhere else. Like you're, just, we've poisoned you to some degree. <laughs> uh, New York is like a, New York is like your psychopath ex-girlfriend who gave mm-hmm. the best blowjob you've ever had in your life. <laughs> like she was all wrong for you, but she's kind of ruined you for everyone else. Cause right. now you're like, ah, oh, I used to have a, a bodega right on my corner. That was so, but the, the price for that is you got to step over a homeless person five times a day. And just like, you see another human being covered in their own, you know, shit and piss. Mm-hmm. And you should, if you were a decent person, you should stop what you're doing for the day and try to help that human being. But it's New York. So you're just like, well, there's two more of you on the next block. See you later. Now I'm now I'm understanding why I haven't moved yet. <laughs> That's it, dude. Uh, you're releasing Libertas on September 11th, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what your September 11th well, story is as a native New Yorker. Well, let me just say first of all, I feel like nobody's coming out with a pro Al Qaeda message, <laughs> and that space has been open for a long time. So I just want to dive in there mm-hmm. and see what what was their side of the story. Right. You know, 9/11. I was uh, <laughs> I was in high school in Brooklyn. I, I was at Berkeley Carroll High School. And I was uh, I was a senior, and it, it happened in the middle of the day. And I remember we uh, uh, we I was cool with the security guard, mm-hmm. and he let us out. We like forged a note. I got me and like a couple of my friends like uh, us out, and we went to my place on Flatbush Avenue. 
And I remember walking to flat. So this was like a couple hours after 9-11 at this point. Okay. Uh, or at least after the first tower had fallen a so, couple hours after. So school hadn't were, locked down yet. It was like. They we they did lock down, but we were able to get out. Like we okay. got a parent's note like where like we could come home. It was mm-hmm. forged. It was all fucking fake. No one knew it. Anyway, <laughs> there was, it was the 90s. There was pre-Patriot Act. No one really cared. 2001. Uh, yeah, it was right. It, to me, it was the '90s until 9/11 happened. 9/11 was the end of the '90s. Okay. That in my mind, uh, just like Kennedy getting killed was the mm-hmm. end of the '50s. I don't care what year it happened. Like okay. that's when that decade changed. Uh, but um, and people were walking up Flatbush Avenue covered in head to toe and soot because wow. at this point, you know, all the trains were shut down, and right. the only way to get over was the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was were, were right up Flatbush. So at this point, people who had been just nearby covered, and it was it's like an amazing sight to see because it was a financial district, so it's like people in suits covered in head to toe from suits soot. and soot. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really you know the city. You remember the smell of the city on nine eleven? I was like in it, it, I was oh, in Phoenix. Here. That's right, only ten years. Yeah. It smelled like burnt. Were you here? It smelled like burnt. Air the whole day, so fucking creepy. Okay. Anyway, go buy my special Libertas. So, you, Bells, so your story is somewhere in between in between Steve Renazizi and Pete Davidson. I was uh, listen. <laughs> Not I quite was tragic, actually, but a little bit more real. I was the guy who blew the whistle on Steve Renazizi because I was like, I don't remember seeing him there. I was there. I didn't see Steve. <laughs> No, I was I was not working for a financial company what? that didn't exist. <laughs> uh, did you know that you wanted to be in comedy in high school? At that time, I don't know. I don't think I ever really. I loved comedy. I always loved stand up comedy. Comedy in general, like I love. You know, I, I I was a '90s kid. I grew up yeah. on The Simpsons and Seinfeld and all that shit. But I loved stand up. I would go to Blockbuster Video and rent every stand up DVD they had. But I never really entertained it as a possibility. It was kind of like. Well, famous people do stand-up. Right. That wasn't for, you can't just do stand-up. And that's why, when, I, I didn't even know there were, like, I remember the first time I, I, I went to a show at the comic strip, it was like, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize there's, like, comedy clubs around. And that was, so the first time I, like, saw a comedy club, it kind of clicked to me. I was like, oh, someone can just do this. How and old were you And then it was always then? kind of an interest. Like, um, I guess, like, 22, 21, oh, wow. 22. And so then, even through college, you were... Yeah, I was. What were I was you studying. Like, I, I was a oh, yeah. psychology major. Okay, um, but I, you know, I only did a year and a half. In but that transfers to stand up psychology. Sure. Yeah, well, it's already a sign that you're kind of crazy. Right. So uh, yeah, it works well. Um, <laughs> Looking at the world differently and sure, sure, and uh, you know, psychology certainly is very you know figuring out your audience. Yeah, absolutely, and just how what draws. I mean, you're literally drawing an emotion out of people when you do comedy. So there's right. there's something to that, um, but. Uh, you know, like what I don't know. I guess I was always, always interested in the way you know people's f- minds mm-hmm. work and that. Sh- so yeah, I think there, I think there's something there. But uh, I'm sorry, fuck. What was I gonna say right before that? Oh, forget it. There we go. <laughs> Early in the morning, Dave Smith. <laughs> <laughs> well, which was the first? You're, you're one third of the Legion of Skanks. I am. Which... I think of myself as more like two thirds, and the other two share one third of. Ah. I'm carrying the load. There. I've, I've always sure. wanted, you know, it's good to have you separate from them. Well, it's, I just feel like, you know, I've been held back yeah. uh, by Okerson and that Puerto Rican whose name I won't even mention. The rattlesnake. Uh, who, oh, by the way, I should say Lewis is the one who, like, I, he, he convinced directed. me. He Lewis convinced me to start stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Lewis convinced me to start podcasting. That's produced and directed uh, this hour. And he runs the Gas Digital Network, which is basically what I support myself off of. Um, it, if you ever met Lewis J. Gomez and... And then understood that I take direction from him. You would be like, you are a truly crazy person to put your your future in this man's hands. But somehow, that those are man, your words, not mine. He's kind of brilliant though. Like Lewis has this fucking genius about him. Mm-hmm. That's like he's like a, a a maniac, 
and he'll say some of the most retarded things you've ever seen in your life. But he's a he's a boss man. Yeah. And what he's doing, he's really a, a, an incredibly talented comic and entrepreneur. And yeah, like you said, he produced and directed the special and did like a. I, I thought he did a really really good job with it, man. So I'm very indebted to that guy. So tell me about the first time you met Lewis. I met Lewis. Uh, Lewis was um, he was dating one of my sister's friends. Okay. That's how I met Lewis originally. And uh, I met Lewis. He was like, uh, I mean, maybe a hundred pounds heavier than he is today. Mm -hmm. And he was he had a lip ring, and was probably wearing like something that resembled like Janko jeans or something. <laughs> like not Janko jeans. I want that's just funnier for the story. But like really baggy, kind of like skatery clothes. Mm -hmm. And we met him at his job. Uh, me and my sister. At, it was by Union Square, and the first time I ever met Lewis, he came up to me, he goes, wanna smoke a bowl in the park? <laughs> and I was like, yes I do. And we've been inseparable ever since. <laughs> I don't, we just ended up hanging out and liking each other, and then we, we uh, uh, my roommate was moving out, and he was getting kicked out of his apartment, so I was, I was you know, he moved in with me, mm -hmm. and then we just kind of became boys, and, and then he started comedy right at that time, and then he convinced me to start. Yeah, how did he convince you? He was just like, I, I'm just, you know, he, he was like, dude, you're like the funniest dude I know and you'd be great at this. And, mm -hmm. and you know, like that, like he just thought I'd be great. He knew I loved comedy. Like I was coming to the clubs and like he, he knew I kind of wanted to do it secretly. So he kind of convinced me. And then we met uh, Jay uh, on like the comedy scene. And then we became the unstoppable powerhouse <laughs> that you guys all know and love today. What were you doing before Lewis convinced you to do comedy? Well, I went, I, I uh, worked with him for a little bit. He was like, he was producing comedy shows and selling tickets. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with him for a little bit, like promoting. But before that, I just had like some bullshit Okay, when I met Lewis, he was doing a show at Stand Up New York. Right. On Sunday nights, I think. Yeah. So this was, he did a, you know, he was doing Stand Up New York, then Laugh Lounge, and Stand Up mm -hmm. New York again, then other shows. I don't even know what, because there were like different time okay. periods. But yeah. We were up at Stand Up New York for a while. That was like where I really got my, uh my comedy chops up there in the days when Wayne Rada used to book the club and hmm. it was it was like a fucking it was like a Studio 54 movie like it was like a party like people were like fucking in the bathrooms and all types of drugs going on and shit but it was a really great place. So to the room that's now a podcast studio was something else. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> a yeah. it was a whole different. It was a whole different everything. I've man, if those walls could talk, <laughs> they would be pointing a lot of fingers. <laughs> that would be a good podcast, though. Oh yeah, sure would, sure would. <laughs> walls of stand up New York, yeah. wall, basement, I mean, tell their stories of comics jizzing on them. So you were working, you were doing jobs re revolved around comedy, even when you were just starting that, comedy. Just that one. So I was kind of, it was like for, for I, I was like in the scene, but not in the scene a little bit. And mm -hmm. I watched, like the year before I started, I watched a ton of stand up. I became obsessed with that. Like I, I knew all, all the guys, you know, like, like Jay and Kurt, uh, those guys were like just newer comics at the time. And I right. was like, oh man, these guys are so good. And I like the guys like. I remember like Ted Alexandro and, and David Tell and you know just like all the yeah. guys who were like coming through at the time that I were like these guys are so fucking good and and yeah and then eventually I tried it and uh, you know like all of us I sucked for a while. How and long then, did it take you to not suck? Well, I think like you know, I got good for where I was pretty quickly. I, I think like you know what I mean. Like it, it's a weird perspective because like when you're like two months in, if you're like good for two months in, that feels good. You know, you're like, oh, I get laughs, you know, right. like, uh, and I'm, you know, now if I looked at that now, I'd fucking be cringing with how terrible it was. But, you know, you have that delusion at first. But I think like I, uh, I was somewhat of, of a natural at stand up was that I, I got it fairly quickly. Like I at least got how to like, 
how to get the room, you know, to like be like, I, I can get the job done most of the what time. What a stand-up is supposed to do. Right, right, yeah, which a lot of people have forgotten. But I, I believe the goal <laughs> is to get the room to laugh. I don't know how many people think like, I really do think a lot of stand-up comics today, like, don't get me wrong, because there's like beasts like in, in my like generation of comics, mm -hmm. like, some really, really talented, you know, people. Right. Uh, but it does seem to me like there's a lot of people who almost forgot, like, you know, your job is to kill. Like, that's the point. Your job is to kill the room. And like some, some if somebody's killing with hack shit and you're going up there and getting <laughs> with clever shit, that guy's a better comic than you. I don't care. He's better. He's killing. And you're not. That's that's the job. I think, to your point, I think something has happened, at least in the 10 years that I've been in New York, where comedians used to uh, talk smack about people who did one-man shows. Right. And then somehow, I don't know whether it's podcasting or just storytelling in general, but it's kind of blended. They've kind of become this part yeah. of the same scene where people are are more comfortable telling stories and yeah, they're not killing, that's, that's an, but that's they have point. the audience's attention, but they're not killing. Well, I'd say Colin changed anything. Like you're never going to be shitting on a one man show again. Cause like the best comic, you know, just did these like incredible runs of them, but he was killing in a lot of the, I mean like, I, I don't know. So I, I still like, I'm okay with that. I, I guess, but that's separate mm -hmm. from stand-up comedy. Like, if you're going and doing a thing where you're like, I'm telling stories that'll right. get a few laughs, that's not what coming into a comedy club is. That's right. not what people are paying for. At least that's my opinion. But, you know, hey, anyone can like whatever the fuck they like. Like, you can right. like slam poetry. It's just right. not my thing. I'm just, you know. <laughs> well, hell, comedy clubs now are... I've seen a few good slam poets, but I mean, way. comedy clubs are now booking podcasts. Yeah, well, hey. Which you know. are not exactly the same as a headlining stand-up comedian. No, it's true. I mean, look, we go like... Because uh, they have the followers and the social media. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm I, kind of okay with all that. Because, I, I mean, to me, it's like... I, I feel like, at least from my experience with Legion of Skanks, like, I look at, like, uh, like what me, Lewis, and Jay were doing on, on the comedy scene. I mean, we've been at this for a long time, and I think we're all, you know, in our own right powerhouses. Mm -hmm. And, like... And like Jay uh, obviously has gotten a lot of, uh, you know, like a, a lot of success. I don't mean to downplay it, but I don't really feel like he's gotten what he deserves. I don't think Jay really got what he deserved until we blew up Legion of Skanks. And then everybody starts going like, oh, OK, you know, OK. I know he's saying all this really offensive shit, but I guess if there's hundreds of thousands of people listening, mm -hmm. then we can sign. To, then we can do this. Then we can. And that's the same thing that's happening to me. Like, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, like, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit like. The purist in me does kind of feel like, oh, it shouldn't be that way. You know, you should be like, who's the best stand up and right. work through the club. And then that's it. But you know what? That old system failed a long time ago. And, and it's not like, you know, it, it's, it's not like that really works. Like there's a lot of great comics who don't get, you know, like passed at, right. at the cellar or whatever. And so it's like uh, now if they can go and get an audience on their own, more power to them, you know, like that's I'd say that's the way to do it. Well, I'm talking even, even more than just comedians doing a comedy podcast. I'm talking about like. There are plenty of oh, comedians, just like straight, who, just have comedians who have podcasts, but the podcasts aren't comedy. They're just yeah. about other things. Well, I do. I mean, I but do. But now they're booking yeah. club and theater tours. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you look, you can tour whatever. I mean, if Talking it's in a theater. Talking about mystery or sex or. Yeah. I mean, to me, that stuff is like, you know, it's interesting, I guess. It's right. kind of a new form of entertainment, but that's not stand-up right, comedy. Right, it's not stand-up yeah, comedy. No. But, we're, but stand-up comedy is like, you know, Louis J. Gomez made this uh, this analogy a long time ago, but it's like, we're like jazz musicians. It's like a dying art. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, so you can you can cling on to And like, it's great. I love jazz. I'm going to keep doing stand-up. I really just do the podcast shit to be able to keep doing stand-up. That's what I love doing. Like putting out this out this this a album this hour means more to me than than, you know, pretty much anything else I do. Right. But 
the podcasts are paying my bills, man. Like that's where it's, and that's where, and, and it's like, but you know, I'm not, you can't sit here and go like, okay, I love going out every night. Like I love going out to the stand tonight to go work my jokes out for 60 people or whatever. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, every week I'm sitting down and talking to hundreds of thousands of people. That's a different that, that's just like you can't treat that like it's the same thing. Like one is clearly right. a way bigger thing. And and look at like uh, I don't know what stand-ups are big. Like pure stand-ups, say who are like like that's what they're big for. Mm -hmm. You know, like not not guys who have it from other things. So like a Brian Regan right. or someone like that who's like a, he's a pure. That's all. That's he does. what he's known for because he's a brilliant stand-up do comedian. He doesn't do yes and uh, social media. Okay, really. like that guy's huge and he, he can still have a, a great career. But there's not that many guys like that. And compare that to how big Joe Rogan is or how big Mark Maron is. Now, Mark Maron's been doing great stand-up for, for decades, right? Right. But, but what is it that gave him made him a monster? He was, he was literally, he's doing, he was doing great stand-up for decades, and he's like, maybe can get on like the late, late show. Right. And then he's like, now he starts a podcast and he's interviewing Obama. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, he can't, one's, <laughs> one's a more relevant form of shit, you know, I don't know. So tell me about the very beginning of Legion of Skanks. You were with, you started with Creek? No, we started, start? we, before the Creek, we didn't, you know, no one was listening <laughs> until we were at the Creek. So that's what, yeah, like, so, that's, yeah. That's, so what was that's the very, it started. so we so what started, the beginning, then? it was, uh, so Jay, I mean, it, we started, it was Lewis, it's all Lewis, always, mm -hmm. but so Lewis, I guess Bobby Kelly gave Lewis like a bunch of equipment, he like upgraded the YKWD studio and mm -hmm. then gave Lewis a bunch of mics and shit, so we okay. had some mics, and then Lewis kind of, because Lewis pitched. was always showing up on Bobby's that's podcast. where that's where it started. So like like really yeah, I guess we we give a lot of our origin story credit to like to Bobby Kelly and those guys because like right. So Lewis was like a regular on YKWd, and like we had all been you know on what, it. Dude. We had all been <laughs> on it, but yeah, he Lewis was like a regular on it, mm -hmm. and um and then right Bobby gave him all this equipment, and then Lewis kind of I think pitched you know like me and me and Jay on like let's do a podcast together, okay. and we just kind of started doing it at Lewis's apartment with, with like his pregnant girlfriend there <laughs> in the back, and like uh it, it was. And then, and we did it for like a couple of years. Then we even did it at the stand for a little bit, and it didn't work out there. And then we went to the creek. And I mean, I'm talking about like we had like you know maybe a few hundred people listening to each episode at the time. It's so funny because you go listen to those old episodes now, and like we, you can tell there's an air of like we have no idea that we're talking to as big an audience as we are now because people <laughs> go back and listen to them now. There's one episode where uh, that I think Lewis had to take down because he just gave out Justin Silver's phone number. <laughs> And you're like, you know, if it's 200 people listening, that doesn't seem like such an unreasonable thing to do. Right. But when it's like thousands, you're like, oh, he may have to change his number now. That's like, a, that's not a good thing. <laughs> um, but then it was, then when, once we got to the creek and Rebecca Trent really just gave us like, you know, free reign to mm -hmm. use her club, she's really been incredible to us. That's when it really started like taking off. And then we got on Anthony Cumia's network. We got right. his kind of audience too. And then it just grew and grew. Well, how, how immediate was it getting the audience with, starting with the creek was it because you were on the creek network or it's not how did it wasn't like because we were on the creek network we got the audience it was just like she gave us this place this space to play and then we developed it no i think what happened was um it was like there would just be like these waves so like there was one wave where like jay went uh out to la and he did burt kreischer's podcast and rogan's podcast mm -hmm. and i think one other big one and then i remember that next week we got like a big bump in listenership okay. and then like there'd be like these kind of waves and then one like last year me and jay both went out and we both did rogan's podcast within the same week and we got like a big big jump that week okay. from doing it. so it's kind of like things like that it's just like like the, the biggest thing for me for my success in podcasts which is so weird is other podcasts like so, I'll go on Ari Shafir's podcast, and then my numbers, you know, pick up from that. Right. So it's like you, you literally. Just so they are hearing you and then checking you out. 
Yeah, there is. Well, if you if you hear me on Ari Shafir's podcast, but I, you know, I'm in a skeptic tank. I'll be back on that uh, this week. Um, I mean, I'm talking for four hours in depth yeah, about are... the world with Ari. If you if you're into that, you know, <laughs> it's not just like oh, I watched them for six minutes on right. late night. That's the other thing podcasts let you do is that you have a real relationship with your fans. You know, stand-ups go around and you'll go hit a market once every year and they come see your hour once a year, which is incredible, you know? And you got to work your ass off so you have a new hour for them next year, you know? And that's 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 great, but that's not the same relationship as somebody who listens to you five times a week go for an hour and a half in their ear. Like right here have a like have a conversation. That's like a a really you ever like meet a radio host or you are a big fan of their show or a podcaster you're a big fan of their show? You like know them. Right. You're like, dude, I know you. I've listened I've listened to like hours and hours and hours of your conversations. It's it's an interesting thing. I've seen that even with like uh there more than more than a few TV weathermen who do comedy. <laughs> That's really But but the fact that people see them on the TV every day for a couple minutes are like, "Oh yeah, it's the guy from the TV." That's, yeah, it is. That is a strange <laughs> thing. But but I've had the same feeling. I know people come up to me and they'll give me that thing like, "I know this is weird, but I feel like I know you." And I'm like, "No, no, no. This is exactly how I feel with like Rogan and Bennington and like all those guys." Right. It's like I go do their show and I'm like, "Oh, it's, it's you." You know? <laughs> right. Um, so, how long were you guys with Kumia? There was a we were there for uh, for a year, for a year. What was the what was the mindset? The I mean, to, it was, to leave the creek. It wasn't. We didn't leave. And the then creek. to leave, we didn't leave the creek. We were at. We still, you know, we did the podcast at the creek the whole okay. time. So the we just started doing it on Kumia's network mm-hmm. instead of on on the creek's website. Um, but no, I mean the the motivation was was simple. It was like Anthony Kumia, who's a fucking legend, right? Uh, just got got lost his job for bullshit reasons. He's starting an uncensored free speech platform. So everything about that was like right up our alley. And then uh, he fucking paid us. Uh-huh. He offered us money. We hadn't made any money on it yet. We were like, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he you know, he gave us a deal where basically all of us could pay our rent off the podcast. It's the first time I'd ever gotten anything like that in comedy. So it was, it was, and then it was an incredible opportunity. He exposed us to all of his fan base. And then, and still to this day, I mean, I'm, we're, we're, you know, all great friends. Was the stuff. deal based on uh, downloads or just a straight no salary? They, it was a straight. It was a straight salary, and uh, because you know their setup there is they have like it's all behind a paywall, mm-hmm. so it's it's not. So you as know, long your as number of downloads isn't really the thing. It's like you're you're doing it for their subscribers. So they already have a lot of people who are going to download it. That's not what they're paying you for. They're paying you to keep giving these okay. people more more quality content, so they keep subscribing. You know what I mean? Right. So that's that's the uh, was their model, and I think they're doing. I think they're doing a great thing there i mean they just got already over there they got a whole you know they got they got a cool business going but then uh lewis decided to start gas yeah lewis lewis and ralph started gas digital network which is you know it's like a separate thing it's, it's a completely different model and uh you know lewis is as i was saying before lewis is like a monster entrepreneur so he had to go do his own thing and and that's been uh wildly more successful than i thought it would be a year into it well, i was gonna say was there any trepidation in leaving the sure thing of kumia yeah. Oh well, Lewis. Lewis busts my balls about it all the time, man. He brings this up all the time because I'm, you know, I'm making a lot more money at mm-hmm. Gas Digital than I was there, and he's like, "You were worried about living the Comeo money." But yeah, I was absolutely. Like you said it was like it was the first time since I've been in comedy. I had like a guaranteed check coming in. Yeah, I was very nervous. But the thing was, Lewis was starting this business, and it was like you kind of have a decision. Like I knew that this bringing Legion of Skanks over to Lewis's business would give him a chance to really build something. Mm-hmm. And just because literally Lewis has convinced me to do comedy, started the podcast, it, it's all his work. So I just felt like that was the right thing to do. Like, it, you know, how could you not let him, you know, reap some of the benefits of, of this thing that he right. created? And what's what's the gas digital studio is like? 
Well, it's uh, it's it's a great studio. Ralph Sutton built a studio out of his apartment uh, right here in the in the. East Village. Right <laughs> My producer is laughing because we're in his you apartment. Know, you know that drill. This is a beautiful, uh, a beautiful space you guys got here. Well, they, they actually just... Uh, they, yeah, it's my first time here. It's, it's great setup. Um, but they just bought... Uh, uh, they just signed a lease actually last week for a place right down the block here on okay. Third Street. Nice big space. So they just bought a new space. They're going to renovate that and build build a new studio up so Ralph can get people out of his fucking apartment finally. <laughs> I think that guy's, that guy's really looking for his own space. When you did New Faces, you were an unwrapped. That's right. Did did that did doing that ch- change anything, or 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 is it more well, the, the like, podcast and not like drastically? I wasn't like one of those guys who like overnight did did New Faces and like came home with mm-hmm. you know like a bunch of deals. I mean, I knew I knew people who that happened for. I mean, I, re- I remember when Soder went and did yeah. you know uh, unwrapped. He came. He was like that was it. Yeah, his career changed. For me, it wasn't quite like that. So it was 2013. I did I did yeah. unwrapped, but you know. I certainly, I think a lot comes from Just for Laughs. Number one, it's the most fun thing in comedy. So you just want to do it because it's the greatest hang. It's the most fun. I just did it again this summer. It's just so much fun. A lot more fun the second time too. Yeah, I go every every year now. It's just I imagine not going. It's so much fun. Like you just, you just want to go do it. Um, But I'll say like a lot of things like, I, I don't know, like, you know, my my agent uh, Conan Smith, I met him mm-hmm. there for okay. the first time. So what is that value? You know, there's that. That was the first time he saw me in showcase. Now we didn't start working together then. We started working together this year. But it's still like there's like a lot of relationships. A lot of people I've done business with were like that's that's where they met they mm-hmm. met you because when you're a new face, a lot of people you know don't know who you are, and this is kind of your introduction to them. So there's some there's like a real value even when you have a meeting. Like, even when you want to set up a meeting with someone, and they'll be like, wait, who wants a meeting? And they're like, Dave, he was on the New Faces in 2000. He's like, oh, yeah, him. So, like, they know who you are. So, yeah. I, it's 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 hard. it's not that easy to measure, but I think you always, like, no matter what happens, you you benefit a lot from doing that stuff. Did you have expectations, though, going in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you just, you know, you hope. You know, I, I was like, when I got New Faces in 2013, I was at a place where I was, like, terrified that I was going to be a failure. At comedy, you know, like it's like when you get into like comedy, when you when you get into this range where you're like six, seven, eight years in, and things aren't like clearly going to take off, and you have to start staring the possibility that I wasted eight years of my life on something that isn't going to be a viable thing <laughs> that that I've maybe not just wasted like the years where you're supposed to be figuring out what you're doing with your life on this, yeah. but where everyone else has gotten to a point where they're like living kind of comfortably now, you know, they're hitting thirty and like, oh, I have a nice apartment, and you're hitting thirty and you're like, I can't afford my rent, you know what I mean? And it's a and it's something that's maybe ruined you to ever be able to work a normal job ever. You know, like it was very, it was very right, scary. What you put on your resume? So right, so right, really though. You know, like uh, I used to get up at the Laugh Lounge. Like that doesn't do much for a job. Like they, it was, I had this one really great dick joke. Like I, you know, but so w- like when I got that, when I got uh, new faces, to me it was almost like it was like the first thing I ever got. It was the first thing that was ever like. E- I think you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, so that was you belong. just that, just that was like enough for me. I don't need to but quit then, comedy. I, I mean, I think you always go in every, every first thing, like the first big festival, the mm-hmm. first TV, uh, people that talk to you, you know, the first deal right. you get, you're always like, Oh, this is going to go all the way and it's going to be huge. And then you get your heart broken and then <laughs> you come back to reality. I would say, I, I, but I always say the comedy game, it, it never gives you anything until you're already over it. And then, then you <laughs> right. get it and you're like, yeah, about time, about time. <laughs> Did you imagine that uh, your your major TV credits would be Fox News? No. You know, just like every comedian <laughs> dreams. 
<laughs> no, I never. You know, you've but seen I never, this guy regularly on Fox News. It's a weird way. It's a weird way to be introduced at a comedy club. I'll tell you that. But uh, it's no. But you know, that's the world that I've kind of like gotten into, and I love. I, I love. I'm obsessed with politics and philosophy and all that shit, and I I, I do enjoy that very. Did much. Did that so. start with Red Eye? Because I know Red Eye is the place. Red Eye and Kennedy, they both started booking me kind of immediately, and then the Greg Gutfeld show too, and a few other ones. But yeah, like, those guys, Greg was the Red Eye guy. Yeah, originally. he was the Red Eye guy originally, and then he got his own show. And uh, yeah, so those guys, you know, I came right into Fox. They started using me a lot, or like around a couple years ago, they started, and uh, the place has fallen apart. Not my <laughs> fault. Not my fault though. I did not sexually harass anybody. That was all them. <laughs> did did did. Uh, showing up on Fox, did that change your comedy at all? No, I was already pretty like, you know, like I, I kind of had my voice, you know, at, okay. at that point. Uh, no, going on Fox it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't change. The only thing that changed was got me like more exposure and more right. fans. So that that was good. But uh, And it's easy. It's like incredibly easy. Like your podcast, if you go, you go do a podcast, it's like, what, you want to have a three hour in depth conversation about this issue? You go on Fox, it's kind of like, what do you think about the war in 20 seconds? Right. Like, it's bad. All right, good point. Next. You know, it's like, you bang that out. What do you got day. on Hillary? Oh, I got. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you have one thought on the issue, and then you're like, on to the next. Here, let's talk about the most important issue in the world with three people. Each one gets 10 seconds. Go. You're like, uh, we should stop. Mm, okay. You work at a think tank. Yeah, right. And you're a stand up. Yeah, well, that's fun. Dude, I was introduced once on one of the panels next to and they these motherfuckers put me after him on the mm -hmm. panel so they introduced the guy and i'm blanking on his name which i shouldn't but they introduced but right before me on a panel the guy who killed osama bin laden <laughs> the, the seal the, the, navy, the navy seal, seal. <laughs> the navy seal who killed osama bin laden a member of seal team unit six or yeah, whatever yeah. and then next is He's a comedian and a <laughs> podcaster <laughs> i was like well how would anyone take anything i have to say seriously <laughs> Yeah, which maybe you, they you thought about killing Bin Laden. You probably had some good killing Bin Laden jokes. I don't know. I mean, look, if he was here and he was coming at me, yeah. maybe. <laughs> maybe. He's still alive, people. Don't, don't <laughs> did, believe the did you learn any? Did you learn any uh, mixed martial arts from Lewis? I did. Lewis, I, I learned uh, Lewis's own specific Gomez <laughs> brand of MMA, which is like kind of mixed martial arts, kind of just Puerto Rican knife fighting. It's more it's a, hammer fisting. There's a little bit of dancing in there. It's a whole. That's right. The old <laughs> hammer fist. That was the first one, by the way. The yeah. first, the first podcast we ever did. So you could take on uh, Bin Laden with some hammer fists. <laughs> Probably. I don't know what Bin Laden's ground game was like. I saw they did those monkey bar training. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they did jits. Now, uh, Libertas is uh, very in the moment. Because as I'm as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder. Did you record that during Skankfest? No, we okay. uh, we it was like maybe a month before Skankfest okay. or a few weeks before Skankfest. Because um, that was the first we showed it at Skankfest. Oh, that was the okay. First that, I knew I knew yeah, there was yeah, yeah. something. We did we did a showing of it the first night, okay. but no, we we had done it. I, I recorded it like in June. Okay. Because there's part of me that you know things are moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> Politically, that part of me wonders like. Will you feel the same way about about this hour even a year from now? Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I really don't know. I mean, you know, I the, the it's very topical. Yeah. Uh, like the, especially the first half of the special yeah. is like really my my take on the whole Trump moment, the last yeah. year, the events, and so that I think is kind of like it's that's the last year of history. I, I will tell. I was nervous as shit that Trump was going to get impeached before this thing uh, got released. <laughs> that was really terrifying. I was having nightmares about that. I was like, please just hang on for another month so that this all makes sense when it comes out. And that, then he can get impeached. Like uh, now I'm fine because okay. even if he gets impeached, it'll take a few months. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? But like every day There's I turn procedures on, I turn on the news to just make sure he's still president every day. Uh, 
But that, well, but like you I said, mean, we we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So even by the time this podcast comes out, he might have no, resigned. Or... No one knows what's going to happen with Trump, including Trump. No <laughs> one knows. Um, but it's I do think like to me what what I what I know that I'll stand by, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the central piece of, of the the special, mm-hmm. is that this is profoundly hilarious. This moment is profoundly hilarious. And I think like the ce- the central message, it's like, it's it's hilarious and no one's like, la- I can't believe it's like falling to me. No one's laughing at all of this. It's like, yes, Trump's a buffoon, but you know what? The anti-Trump people are, are competing for being as buffoonish. That's like, the, that's like the moment we live in and you're all fucking ridiculous and you all deserve to be ridiculed and you're all taking yourselves far too seriously. I think, well, me personally as a white privileged male, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's more laughing to stop from crying. Sure. Well, look, I, I mean, tragedy and comedy are very related. And that's like, that's just a fact. It's I like, mean, I don't like, know how are, to react. Yeah, so I guess I'll just laugh hysterically. Yeah. But look, man, I also think like, I don't know, dude. Because I'm afraid to face I think the all actuality this of what might, might be around the corner. I, I guess, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. It's like even our fear of that, it's like, I don't know, we live at the height of humanity. We're the richest, freest people who have ever existed in recorded history. And we're all talking about like, well, me as a white privileged person or me as a, like, yeah. we're all privileged. If you go back 40 years or you compare us to the rest of humanity, we are all so freaking privileged you can't even wrap your head around it. People Until the year 1895, the average American lived on a dollar a day adjusted for modern inflation, okay? So your great-grandparents were basically like Central Asian level poor. Like dirt, dirt poor. The idea of white privilege versus black, I mean, it's like, it's not even in the same ballpark of what we're talking about today. So it's just like when everyone on a college campus is like, oh, check your privilege, or this is what mm-hmm. the system's done for us. What is the what is the system done to oppress you, college kid in 2017? The richest, freest, most privileged person who's ever existed in human history? Like, you can talk about what's wrong with the system, but it's kind of hilarious that all you see is the oppression and you don't see any of, like, the benefit. You're fu- we are so fucking lucky to be here. That's the truth. That's the fucking truth. If you were right now, you had to spin the globe and throw a dart at the globe and wherever that dart lands, you have to live like the average person in that country lives, we would be shitting a brick. Like, oh my fucking God, dude. What if this thing lands in the middle of fucking some godforsaken country? I just get torn apart yeah. tomorrow. That's life for most people. Well, I hope that's still true a year from now. Oh, that that will undoubtedly <laughs> be true a year from still, now. No, I hope he doesn't F it up too much. But the that idea is not, that, you know, that's not even true a year from no, now. No, I, I, I think it's a... I, I think the Trump, like whatever comes out of this, I have no idea. So mm-hmm. you're right. I might change my mind. I've changed my mind like on a million different things. So who knows? But that's uh, fun. That's fun too. Right. You you mentioned about being eight years in and, and wondering, hoping it's all been worth it. And it yeah. turns out it has been. Yes. I've at least crossed that line that I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I'm not going to starve. Yeah. You're a successful podcaster. You have a one hour special. Mm-hmm. Those things nobody can take away from you. That's true. Um, what would you say to the new guy starting in comedy? Like, hang on for eight years? or No, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, okay, so Andrew Schultz said this to me. Always really stuck with me. This was a while ago he said this. But he was like, um, he's a really, really sharp guy, by the way. Ever talked to that guy, Andrew? He's just like yeah. a really high IQ kid who like kind of like, like real good savvy and like a really interesting like business sense. But he always said it's like, it's like you got to like, he's like, look, you want to, if you want to be a great stand-up, like obviously, you know, you know, you have to get up all the time, and you have to work on your craft, and you have to manage your jokes, watch really great stand-up, you know, all the all the traditional obvious 
advice. Um, but then he was like, to, to get your career where it needs to go, what it's all about is finding out what your vehicle is. And you need to find out like who you are, what your voice is, and what the vehicle is that made sense for you. And he said, he goes, the ultimate example of that was like Chappelle with The Chappelle Show. Chappelle found the, you know, Chappelle was around forever yeah. being Chappelle, but he found the there's perfect some, some vehicle. Old, there's some old movies that pop up sometimes that are awful oh, and have yeah. Chappelle and, in them. Oh, you do, and, but you remember even like, oh, like white, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, men, Robin Hood Men in Tights and oh, stuff yeah, like yeah. that where he has that lot. You know, it's like he, he was around, but he found the vehicle. It was like Chappelle doing a little bit of stand up and then introing a sketch where Chappelle, it was like, this is the show. And he even, uh, and, and Scholes made the point on a much different level, of course, but he was like when he first got in and he got on all those. MTV shows he was like this was a great vehicle for me because like this is me I'm like a guy who's into hip-hop and sneakers and like all this shit and so I can talk to these and it's like it's like that to me is my advice to young comedy you got to figure out who you are and what what your vehicle is because nowadays you can kind of make that you right. can make your vehicle you know so that's that'd be it and also talk to Andrew Schultz more <laughs> kids gotta, kids right smart. so it used to be find your voice but now it's find the vehicle for your voice I think but I think it's both I think it's like find your voice and then find the vehicle well, Dave, I, uh, thanks for being here, and thanks for not being part of the problem. <laughs> thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news, become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.